Welcome, everybody, to episode 54 of Generation Jihad. I'm Tom Dowson, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Bill Rojo. Bill? Hello, everyone. We are senior fellows at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, and we have been running FTD's Long War Journal for many years now. I always hedge a little bit on that, Bill, because I'm not even really sure how long it's been, but it's been a long time. September 11th, 2007, Tom. Okay. Well, that, you put a formal date on it, which now clarifies that for me anyway. Um, so I think this week, you know, Bill, we're both traveling and doing quite a bit of different stuff, working on different things we're writing up. We have a lot of work on our plate, and I figure we could do a quick recording here episode before I set out for another trip um, in the coming hours, and maybe just touch on some of the recent events or current events are in the news, um, in the news from our perspective as jihadi watchers, I would say. Um, and I'm not going to lead with Afghanistan, even though there's a lot on Afghanistan we could lead with and talk about. And you and I are, of course, sick of talking about it on the podcast and elsewhere, but it's still need to talk about it. Um, just not going to lead with that today. Thank instead, you. Instead, I'm going to lead with something else, Bill. Um, the first thing first, um, you know, we're going to be doing more on Africa in the coming months and years in terms of how the jihad is spread out there and growing in, in a lot of ways. Um, I was struck this week. I saw um, Shabab, which is Al Qaeda's East African arm, you know, based in Somalia, released a lengthy message from its Emir Abu Obeda. Um, the message was to commemorate the, the um, you know the holiday, the Eid al Adha holiday, you know, and commemorate that uh, date on the Islamic calendar. And it was a very long message. I know I sent you the transcript, Bill, from writing it up. And what I thought was interesting about it was just how much it was all about promoting Islamic governance, really jihadi governance in Somalia. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot of times with other people about how they just don't get what motivates not just ISIS, which of course was all about the caliphate, but also Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is all about the caliphate too. They just have a very different time frame for it than ISIS did. And this message, when you go through this video, it's about a half hour long video and, of course, Abu Ubaidah has one of those Al-Qaeda figures who hasn't shown his face, right, Bill? We've never seen him. We don't know what he looks like. But he puts this this audio is embedded in a longer video. And the Shabab Amir goes on and on and on and on about Islamic governance and how important it is to unify Somalia. Now, the first thing that came to mind, Bill, when I was watching this is just how, you know, you and I for years talked about how Shabab really was part of Al-Qaeda. And, and I first thing that came to mind was remembering that whole disconnect the dots stuff on Shabab years ago, how, how there was this whole effort to say Shabab wasn't really part of Al-Qaeda. You remember that, Bill? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It stemmed back even before Shabab with the Islamic Courts Union um, back in the mid-2000s, right? Which uh, the Emir of Shabab, Abu Ubaidah, brings up actually in his video. But, you know, in, in conjunction with this video, before we delve into a little bit of the, the transcript, the contents of it, um, it's interesting. Shabab also put out a statement in Arabic um, uh, through its own websites and social media channels and then Shahada News, which is this, you know, de facto uh, propaganda arm of Shabab, also put out a copy. And one of the things that was highlighted in there is that on the, this occasion, they were sending congratulations to their Mujahideen, their Mujahid leader or Amir, um, Ayman al-Zawahiri, who they refer to as being alive. And they also um, congratulate Habatul Akhanzada, the Amir of the Taliban, and they congratulate the success of the lions in Afghanistan of the Islamic Emirate. 
and their re- recent uh, territorial gains. Now, I just fooled you, Bill, because I got us to Afghanistan anyway, uh, <laughs> but in a roundabout way. <laughs> I hate you, Tom. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so this is, in, this is in the message. And I mean, it's part of what we're tracking now. We're, we're already starting to see, before we get into the, the Shabab-centric part of this podcast, we are starting to see, not just from Shabab, but also AQIM and Jaish al and Gaza and, and some other Al-Qaeda link groups and then other known Al-Qaeda groups, we are starting to see the messaging congratulating the Taliban and the Jihadis, Islamic Emirate on their gains in Afghanistan. That's something we're going to be tracking uh, in the future, I would say, Bill. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's really telling about how it's one complete network and they're in support of each other. Yeah, in that in that regard, too, you know, one of the things um, everybody's obsessing over whether or not there would be another 9-11 style attack because Afghanistan is a launching pad and I've always said that, you know, you got to look at this a little, it's a little more complex than that. I mean, the main the main thing that I would be concerned about is that their victories in Afghanistan will be a boon for the jihadi cause globally. And I think you are starting to see some indications of that, but we'll track it and, and comment on that. And I, I, I promise you we wouldn't get diverged, uh, diverged totally from the script here onto Afghanistan-related issues. So let's get back to the Shabab and, and what they're saying. Um, but in this video, so Abu Ubaidah goes on and on and on about Islamic governance, and he, he basically rounds up these the this current state of affairs as he talks about it. And he talks about the problems that Somalia faces, and he gives first he gives five set of of obstacles to as these are obstacles basically to his own agenda, which he doesn't say, but <laughs> these are these are obstacles to the jihadi cause in Somalia, really. And the first one, of course, is this corrupt system of governance and the corrupt leaders, this is according to him. And so what he's talking about is the government based in Mogadishu. And what I found to be striking was how much his rhetoric was similar to what we've heard out of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda with uh, respect to Afghanistan and the government in Kabul all these years. Again, I got you, Bill. There's another Afghanistan reference. Yeah, well, you just can't get away from it, can we? No, and in any event, I mean, he talks about how this he, this is now the Emir of Shabab. He describes that as a corrupt system of governance is a result of democratization, democratization and federalization in the country. And he refers to it as a corrupt regime, a pagan democratic system with man-made constitutions. And he actually uses the phrase puppets at one point to describe the um, government in Mogadishu, which is really a favorite of the Taliban when it comes to the government in Kabul. So I definitely think you're seeing some echoes there um, in what he's saying. It's, it doesn't have to be directly drawn from that script, of course. But, you know, the first thing that comes to mind here, Bill, is we've known all along, I mean, everybody should know all along that not only is Shabbat part of Al-Qaeda, but that's what they seek in in Somalia and also East Africa is to overthrow these existing governments and replace them with their style of governance based on their version of Sharia, Right. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. I mean, and you know, I know I'm probably jumping the gun here, but later in the statement, he says just that. That's their goal, is the establishment of a, 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 a an Islamic government, you know, with an imposing Sharia law. That's what it wants. That's what all of these groups want, um, and that's what they're fighting for. They're not fighting just to launch airplanes into buildings into the United States. That's merely a tactic of them to get the U.S., to get the West to disengage. Um so, yeah, none of this is surprising. And, and you know, you you caught on to when you had sent me this transcript, you know, a lot of these statements, pagan democratic system, um, apostates, he says blatant apost- uh, apostasy, um, all of that. These are I mean, I, I, I had to look and say, wait, wait, is we reading a Shabab statement here? Or am I reading a Taliban statement? 
Yeah, and the line I thought would jump out to you too was at one point he says when he's talking about the government in Mogadishu and people that work for the government in Somalia, um, he says they are puppets who are subservient to the United States, United Kingdom, Turkey, Qatar, UAE, Ethiopia, Kenya, and other states. Now, actually, the one that there, there are two that are interesting in there, in that list of, of foreign governments, he, he's claiming that the the government of Mogadishu is a, a puppet of. The first one is Turkey. Um, why is that interesting? Because Turkey is one of these one of these issues where there is a divide in, within the jihadi world over Turkey's role in Syria and at large. Because whereas Turkey is ostensibly and, and I would say even overtly on the side of Hayat al Sham in Syria and, and Idlib and the jihadi cause there, and there's a whole whole problem there for Al Qaeda, which again I, I keep teasing. We're going to come back to at some point again. We'll talk about it a little bit more in the future. But um, putting that to the side, Turkey is clearly on the side of Hayatur al-Sham has acted as a protector for this, you know, the local jihadi cause really in Syria, um, while at the same time is against, it, it, well, same time is on the side of NATO in Afghanistan, and the, the Taliban has rejected offers from the Turkish government to protect the airport in Kabul, and Turkey is also on the side of the Somali government in, in uh, you know, against Shabab and others in Somalia. So this is one of those places where Turkey sort of sits on this dividing line within the jihadi cause. So I thought it was interesting Turkey's included there. Abu Ubaidah has gone after Turkey rhetorically in the past, and they've actually, Shabab has actually attacked Turkish targets. So not altogether surprising, right, Bill? No, not surprising. Yeah, this is, you know, it's it's kind of like, not to bring it back to Afghanistan, but the Taliban, you know, enjoy the support of the Pakistani state while at times having to distance itself from it. They're complex relationships. In the case of Shabab, yeah, it doesn't like uh, Turkey's involvement, um, and but Shabab would never recognize Turkey's support for Al Qaeda's project in Syria. So they're, they're complicated issues, and there's a lot of which is um, really an, a kind of it's a problematic project at this point from Al Qaeda's perspective. Yes, HTS is. I mean, this is again, sure. it's not they're now op- operating, you know, as an ostensibly independent group. So it's again, I don't want to get into all that, but the point is that there are, in some cases, they're on the side of the jihadis, in other cases, they're not. Um, which is, I think, the main issue here. Um, but Qatar is also mentioned in this list. And the reason why that's interesting is because, you know, Qatar has been a place that has offered an hospitable environment for Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and other groups for years, including Al-Qaeda actors who are, are funding causes throughout, the, you know, not just South Asia or Central Asia, but also the Middle East and into Africa. So it's interesting that he would name check them here as well. Um, yeah, and, and also the support over. for the Tal- the Taliban's political office, right, in, in Doha. And so it's interesting. You know, sometimes these groups get hyper-focused or the leaders of these groups do get focused in on their their immediate fight. And so, but not unsurprising. Well, the reason I bring all that up is because this is one of those areas where there is there is a ongoing debate or dispute within the jihadi world on the role of these states. Um, and so that's something to keep track of. And I know we're going to keep... Uh, on top of that issue going forward, because I, I still I don't think that that story is done by any by any stretch. Then, but then he moves on, so he moves, so he, he's attacked. So Abu Ubaidah, the Emir of Shabab, he attacks the the government in in Mogadishu, and then he moves on to the second facet of this, which I thought was interesting too, which is that uh, the second second obstacle he mentions is the quote unquote corrupt scholars. So he's going after their. Islamic opposition within Somalia, and this is something I don't. I don't think the U.S. is at times. The U.S. and its allies at times have have highlighted the dissent from Muslim scholars against the jihadi project, but I don't think nearly enough has been done in this regard. That oftentimes the jihadis do 
run into the one, actually one of the first obstacles they they run into, and it's here. It's listen to the second one is the opposition from scholars who don't agree with the jihadi worldview, don't agree with their interpretation of Islam, and that's important. I mean, the thing that he goes off on here, that Abu Abeda goes off on here, is the Council of Somali Scholars, and he basically accuses them of legitimizing this apostate regime and providing it with a cloak of legitimacy and um, providing basically cover for this this outside influence that he rejects in Somalia. And so this is, again, a point of tension, really, for the jihadis where... You can see there is opposition within the Muslim community, substantial opposition within the Muslim community to their project in Somalia. Yeah, and you know, I, this gets back to a point you and I, we just don't understand our enemy, right? The You and I do, and I know our listeners do, but many do not. You know, why is this the second issue, second of five, I believe it was five issues, or is it three issues, that they, they mentioned um, of being problematic because Shabab and Al Qaeda and all the Taliban and the uh, AQIM, you know, all of them, they have a they need religious justification to wage their jihad. And so any type of um, opposition from Muslim scholars is a, is a direct threat to them. Uh, this is why this is so important to Shabab for them to call them out and to, you know, basically, you know, talk down to them for providing support for what they perceive to be their enemies. Yeah, and it's the second obstacle of five, so it, it shows you how- It is five. It is five, yeah. So it shows you how important it is. I'm going through the transcript again here as we're talking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think this is an ongoing issue for them. I mean, I, I'm reminded of a few 9-11s ago now, the anniversary of 9-11. Um, Ayman al-Zawahiri released a bizarre harangue in which he was attacking Islamic scholars who didn't agree with the, justific- the justifications al-Qaeda offered for 9-11. So this is, you know, it, it, what was bizarre about it was basically the whole speech was that. He was complaining about the opposition within the Muslim community to, and Muslim scholars, with, among Muslim scholars to Al-Qaeda's own actions, which I think is, you know, going to be an ongoing uh, problem here for them uh, going forward. But it's not going to dissuade them from pursuing their own religious goals or their own interpretation of religion or enforcing it through their own, you know, autocratic regimes. And so... Moving on, the third obstacle that Abu Abeda lists is the corrupt army inside um, Somalia. This is, and again, he, he he accuses the Somali armed forces of serving pagan principles and on behalf of a corrupt regime, and basically committing horrendous atrocities against the Muslim people in Somalia. And and he just goes on and on and on. Um, I mean, it's true that in in the war there are of course civilian casualties and there are horrors that are that are. Um, committed by both sides. I don't think anybody would deny that seriously. But I just think it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that Shabab and Somalia, in Somalia and elsewhere and Al-Qaeda have had a problem with is that a lot of their violence, of course, is directed at Muslims, not directed at the Westerners that they complain about and people outside. And this is an ongoing issue for them as well. I mean, but here he's trying to flip the script and basically saying that it's the corrupt Somali army that's really the problem in terms of, of targeting um Muslims, and I think that I think if if you were to do a body count and a, a body tally for Shabab's violence through the years, I think it's overwhelmingly local Africans and, and Muslims in Africa. Yeah, with, without a doubt, Tom. I mean, you know, the reality is, is and I'm look, Somalia is a country that's been at war for what are we thirty five years now? I'm not sure what the exact date, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's not a lot of clean actors left on either side of of the fight. But the reality is, is that the Somali military isn't driving trucks packed with 
explosives into markets and in front of hotels and things like that. Um, you, without a doubt, if you did a tally, you'd find that the civilian casualties are primarily the cause of, or caused by Shabab's terror campaign. Yeah, and of course, that's an issue that Al-Qaeda struggle with, too, and they've tried to issue guidelines to rein that type of violence in, but that's an ongoing issue for them in terms of conducting their jihad. But the fourth obstacle, it's moving on here, that um, now, again, this is a video, a message was put out by Abu Abeda Ahmad Omar, who is the emir of Shabab, um, guy who still hasn't shown his face after all these years, but uh, his voice is heard now with increasing regularity, I would say, Bill, um, in these messages. The, the fourth obstacle he, he lists is a so-called corrupt media. So, you know, it's interesting how much around the world people complain about the media. And here's the jihadi complaint about the media. And this, in this case, he, he claims that the jihad, that the global media is propagating indecency and immorality and brainwashing the Muslim youth while glorifying the apostate regime in Mogadishu. Um, and he claims this is one of the main obstacles preventing our ummah from implementing the religion and for shunning and, and basically staying on, abhorring immorality and staying on the moral path. He, he claims that this is what's helping to, the dishonest media is preventing uh, Muslim youth from submitting to the Sharia of their Lord and disavowing themselves from the disbelievers. So again, he's, he's accusing the media of basically being on the side of the quote unquote crusaders and the people who are opposed to the jihadi cause. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think that, uh, I think it's interesting he's complaining about the media here and he makes it number four. I don't I don't know that there's really all that much scrutiny, to be honest with you, of Shabab's actions internationally. Um, it seems to me that um, more often than not, people aren't really looking into what Shabab's doing, but I guess they do have some negative press, justifiably so. Yeah, I mean, Somali does have a, a local media. I suspect this may be where more of the complaint is probably tied, and it does tend to report um, negatively on Shabab's actions. I suspect this is where the um, where a lot of the opposition to the media comes from. Um, but look, anything in the media that even remotely would be critical of Shabab is is going to invoke Shabab's ire. So uh, nothing short of Shabab's official media arm and some you know hangers on or some you know supporting media. Nothing short of that is acceptable to Shabab. It doesn't, these groups, Shabab, Al-Qaeda, you know, go down the list. They only want their point of view out there and any other, any type of opposing view, any view that doesn't, um, that isn't adhering to the official um, party line is is going to be in direct opposition. And then I, that's, I think it's a good point about the local media for sure. Um, the, f the fifth point is on it for his that draws his ire is the international community he says the fifth obstacle facing the country is the crusader coalition known as the quote-unquote international community and he goes on basically saying that they're imposing these un-islamic ways inside somalia and that basically they have their their eyes set on such a um strategic location in in the horn of africa and that uh, somalia is so well positioned and so has so many resources that basically these international actors want to get their hands on and that's what is really driving this um, which I, I think is somewhat laughable. I don't think the U.S., for example, has done anything to try and exploit Somalia's resources or, or anything of the sort. Um, you know, it's certainly a confused mission at times, but that's not one of the critiques you can have of it. Um, but, you know, to anybody, I think if you look at this speech and these five components, including this fifth one, 
the idea that Shabab is going to reconcile with the government of Mogadishu and become an international, responsible international actor and set aside its violent jihadi ways. I mean, I think that's all pipe dream if you look at what Abu Ubaidah, the emir of the group, is saying, right? And I think that this is consistent with what they've been saying all along and they believe it. Yeah. And Tom, once the, once I'm going to read it in full, this is what stuck out to me here. Um, and uh, so, quote, all of these countries are united in their common goal of preventing the establishment of a powerful Somali government that can win the support of the people, defend its territory and govern itself according to its religion. Well, what government would that be? That would be the government of Shabab. So that's the real complaint here is that the, the foreign powers, the international community is preventing Shabab from establishing its um, its emirate in in Somalia. Uh, the reality is, is if Af- if um, the Amisom, the African uh, African Union mission in Somalia, and the United States, and and other actors like Turkey didn't interfere, Shabab very likely, I would say, put the probability in the ninety percent um, would be in control of the country. Remember, before international intervention in two thousand eleven, Shabab controlled the much of almost all of southern and central Somalia um, for about two years before Kenya and, and Uganda and the United States and others intervened to push Shabab out from the capital. They controlled the capital. I mean, this was before the Islamic State. This is what, not to diverge here, but, um, you know, this is why when people were so excited about the Islamic State because they actually want to control territory and govern, we watched Shabab do this in southern and central Somalia for two years. Um, so, you know, it just gets back to, you know, that, but that, again, their main opposition is that without Western involvement, they, they would be ruling the country. Yeah. And, you know, part of what people don't get about the challenge that ISIS posed to Al Qaeda's global network is that whereas groups like Shabab said that they're building the Emirates slowly to eventually become part of the caliphate, and we're going to get to that more in a second here. Um, ISIS said that they were the caliphate in here and now and that they were going to build these emirates. And it, a lot of times, the not every case, but a lot of the cases where the Islamic State declared a province, a so-called province or wilaya, what they were saying was that they are now the only game in town and they represent the caliphate and everybody should come join them. A lot of times those provinces or wilaya were directly trying to challenge the proto-emirates or the nascent emirates that al-Qaeda was developing in the area. So Shabab is a great example of that where you had a mid-level commander from Shabab defect and, and jumpstart the ISIS presence in, in Somalia, you know, basically uh, got res- fierce pushback from Shabab and its Omniot, its intelligence service. But the whole idea was that he that this ISIS upstart branch was going to say, you know, look, you know, where Shabab is telling the Emirates coming and we're going to they're eventually going to one day build the caliphate. We're the we're the caliphate in in town now, so come join us. That was basically the messaging, and people kind of I think kind of missed that that was a lot of what ISIS was trying to do when they established these Wilayat or provinces. They basically wanted to carve off from the Al Qaeda network and establish their own version in the here and now of this this infrastructure. Yeah, and, and you know uh, I, the criticism of the Islamic State, and I think Al Qaeda pretty much has won this argument, um, was that they were declaring their caliphate too too quickly. So it was a caliphate they couldn't defend. And um, I think that's, you know, again, that's proven out. You know, the, the patient approach by Al-Qaeda is far more effective. It's far more dangerous. The the Islamic State 
you know, it was their their declaration of the caliphate was very opportunistic. They believed they could carve off um, parts of Al Qaeda and establish their local wilayats. And um, but yeah, it's 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 very interesting when you look at this in, in a historical perspective to see who really won this argument. Now, again, the the book isn't fully written on this, but I think we've seen that you know declaring the caliphate itself, the premature declaration of that was. Definitely a mistake by the Islamic State. It gave it short-term gains, but I think there's been some very serious long-term losses. Yeah, and you know, and to that point, you know, Abu Ubaida here, the Emir of Shabab, he lists at one point in this video the goals of the Mujahideen, and he lists seven goals. And number six is the one that jumped out to me because it's so often assumed in counterterrorism circles that Al Qaeda is not really about resurrecting the caliphate only ISIS was. And this was a fundamental foundational mistake and analysis that was done years ago. And some people still repeat it, but um, if you just listen to what Al-Qaeda and its regional branches say, they say the opposite. And so here, Abu Ubaidah, and when he lists the goals of the Mujahideen, number six is to restore the Islamic caliphate that was destroyed and for the Muslims of Somalia to play a pivotal role in its restoration. So he's directly linking um, the cause of Shabab in Somalia and saying this is part of the quest to rebuild or resurrect the Islamic Caliphate. It's not something he thinks is going to happen in the near, at, it's near at hand or it's going to happen next month, but it's definitely the long-term goal for the organization and this this broader Al-Qaeda network. And he has, I mean, he has five other goals before that, so it shows you it's not, he doesn't think this is an immediate goal. But, um, you know, all those goals are really in service of this idea of resurrecting the Islamic Caliphate. And to, to that point, he also talks about governing. The first goal is, of course, to govern the country according to Sharia law and liberate it from the occupation of disbelievers. Well, that's the first goal. It's part of a step, a step process he has toward resurrecting the Caliphate. Like, you can't resurrect the Caliphate if you can't first build an Islamic state in Somalia and build the Emirate under their version of Sharia law and then do the same thing in other areas and then link up and say the Caliphate is, has been rebuilt. So again, this oftentimes sounds fanciful to Western ears, and of course, you know, you shouldn't. We shouldn't think that they're this is going to happen, you know, anytime soon, you know. But the point is that this is, in terms of their ideology and their their overarching framework for understanding their violence, this is a, a recurring message that they they themselves say over and over again. Here he is laying this message out. Yeah, and Tom, they're not just saying it too, and I know you know this, of course. They're they're doing it. I mean, and the reality is, without Western intervention in Somalia, you would have a Islamic state inside of Somalia and in Yemen and uh, in Mali. And, you know, we could go down the list. And because um, those are three places where Al Qaeda's branches have ruled. And then, of course, Iraq and Syria with the Islamic state. So these aren't fanciful goals that um, are nowhere near, um, you know, at least the establishment of, of the individual emirates within the caliphate. It's it's not unreasonable to think that the that this isn't possible because if they were able to hold those states and then provide support for neighboring uh, their neighboring brothers and you know neighboring countries to continue the fight, you know this thing could spread like wildfire. And that's what I think is it's 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 dismissed again. Shabab's takeover, uh, well, the Islamic Courts Union, and then Shabab's takeover of Somalia in the two thousands up to two thousand eleven and Al-Qaeda in, in the Arabian Peninsula twice in the 2010s, taking control of large areas of southern Yemen. I mean, these things happened. And, uh, um, you know, if, if, if we dismiss this, then we have no way of properly fighting our enemy. We just think they're, they're all about 
conducting a terror attacks in the United States. And that entirely misses the point of the nature of our enemy. And how do you fight your enemy properly if you don't understand what it wants, what its objectives are? Yeah, and I would just say it already has spread like fire, of course, because yeah, all these, yes, all this, 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 this wasn't the case. The picture, if you look around the world today, it wasn't the way it was on 9-11. This is part of the talking point I use to describe the jihadi revolution. The point about being fanciful is they don't have the type of all-powerful caliphate um, right around the corner that they imagine. But the idea of being able to build the emirates that link up to it, well, as you just said, they've already had some success. They already did have a first go of it in Iraq and Syria, and I think it's I think it's in the realm of possibility. I don't I'm not a uh, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't like to be, pretend to be a prophet of any kind, so I'm not going to make a definitive pred- prediction here. But it's certainly within the realm of possibility that, given apparently you know the U.S. retreat from Afghanistan and falling back from other areas, and you can see France doesn't really want to be in West Africa anymore. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of pressure, basically, for the West to get out of these areas. It's easy to see how the jihadis could have, you know, three to five Islamic emirates in the next five years if you know things go their way. Um, not saying definitively that's going to happen, but that's that's their goal. And in places like Somalia, they're closer to that goal than they are elsewhere. Now, this speech also speaks to the fact that they are meeting resistance, right? For all the problems that the Somali government has, they have not been, you know, the Shabab has not been able to take Mogadishu, has not been able to take other key parts of the terrain there to build their emirates. So that's important to keep in mind. But the point is that they're still fighting for that and they're still on the, if if there's a curve for how close they are to it between zero and a hundred, you know, I think at times they've been closer, you know, over, over the 50 mark at times, basically is what I would say. It varies from region to region, but they are definitely fighting for this and they have, um, made progress in some ways, and in, in other t- and other times they've fallen back and, and had defeats. But you know, Bill, there's there's a part of this that that really emphasizes the fact that this is what they're all about too. And in part of the speech, when he's offering a solution of Abu Abeda, the Emir of Shabab, he says, "Here's the solution. The solution is that um, the establishment of these Islamic wilaya or provinces within Somalia." And he sees this as the way that basically Shabab and the Somali people can govern themselves according to Sharia and um, that this is a way to unify the country in in the manner that would be consistent with um, Abu Ubaidah's and Shabab's ideology, and he he says that these wilaya or provinces across Somalia were the result of the initiative of our people. So in other words, they built this proto governance, this proto government throughout Somalia already, and that they were established. These wilaya or provinces were established after the fall of the Islamic Courts Union, which you documented at the time. Um, in order to build an Islamic administration that could lead the Ummah, or the worldwide community of Muslims, to the best of their ability, both in this world and hereafter. This is, those are his words I'm paraphrasing and just lightly quoting, I would say. Uh, and he goes on to trumpet the idea that these Islamic wilaya are um, providing an independent and um, efficient system of governance across Somalia. I mean, I think that's probably true in some areas to a degree. They probably do have a, a taxation system. We know they have a taxation system. We know that they're providing some services to the local people in different areas. Um, but he also sees this as a way to get around the clan divisions uh, and other types of internal divisions in Somalia. But again, this all the fact that he's out there talking about this so openly, again, shows you that this is a guy who's openly loyal to Ayman al-Zawahiri, the head of al-Qaeda, this is a guy who, you know, their, their messaging that they put out is constantly filled with Al-Qaeda references. And he's telling you that what they're all about is this Islamic governance inside Somalia. Not not entirely, but the main driving thing they're about, the main the main task at hand for them is to build this Islamic government in Somalia. Yeah, uh, well said, Tom. I mean, you know, just to put a fine point on it, they're not fighting just to fight. 
they're fighting to establish an Islamic, uh, to, to establish their emirate in Somalia, and then again to support the, a coming caliphate. And, you know, they are providing things. It, it's not governance to our standards, but in some cases, like, for, and I could say this for more authoritatively on Afghanistan than I can for, for Somalia, but the dis, dispensation, dispensing justice is something that these groups tend to do far better than corrupt governments. Um, people might not like the outcomes, but they tend to respect them. They, instead of, they don't take bribes, they, they're, they're adjudicated quickly. Um, that's something appreciated in countries like Somalia and Afghanistan, where they've been at war for decades and decades. You have a lot of property disputes. People leave their homes, someone else squats in them, things like that. So that, that tends to get resolved quickly. Sure, they're not providing health care and, um, and, and aid and, and, you know, and other things that we here in the West, in the United States, would um, we wouldn't consider it. But they don't really care about those things. If they're, in, if they're dispensing Islamic law, if they're dispensing their version of Sharia, and they rule the country, everything else really is, a second, is secondary. As long as they're doing what they want in, in, while dispensing uh, Sharia, then all is well. It doesn't matter if they're doing healthcare poorly. They don't really care about that. Um, they'll make an effort at it. Um, and they'll certainly take external aid in order to do it. But that isn't, you know, people, I constantly hear the argument, Tom, I mentioned this because, well, you know, this group or that group, even if they ruled, they won't be able to sustain it without foreign aid or this or that. Well, let's just look back to the Taliban in the 1990s. They didn't care. They, they just cared if they were ruling Afghanistan and, and, and imposing Sharia on the people. Everything else was secondary. That was that's what's important to them. That's what's important to, to Shabab. Um, the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, and uh, when it comes to external aid, of course, one of the things that the was there was widely misreported, I would say, in the counterterrorism community was Shabab's original oath to Bin Laden. Remember, there was this whole idea that Bin Laden rejected the marriage or the oath from um, Godane, the Emir of Shabab at the time, who was then, of course, killed and replaced by. Uh, Abu Ubaidah, but the whole idea was that that, that uh, Bin Laden rejected Shabab's allegiance to Al Qaeda. That was flat false, as we saw in the Bin Laden files, and as you reported at the time, what really happened was that Bin Laden thought that an overt allegiance to Al Qaeda senior leadership would get in the way of them being able Shabab being able to um, basically garner the support from businessmen and others throughout the region that could then help develop this emirate uh, financially, economically, and, and otherwise, because they do want to provide. A minimum, at least a minimum basis of services to the people, um, and they do provide. They do provide. We do see even the Taliban's version of healthcare isn't up to our standards, but they do provide some level of of healthcare in some of the areas they control. And so Shabab just tries to do the same thing. Um, but the whole idea was that they're they're willing to take basically external support, but with a lot of provision, with a lot of caveats, you know. Um, and so that's that's you know. At the end of the day, from their perspective, that's what this is all about. It's building this emirate. And what Abu Ubaidah is saying here in this message, this this lengthy video, is that that's what they're all about and that they're going to keep fighting for that goal. And, you know, I, before we move on, um, unless you have anything else to say about this, Bill, I thought it was interesting, too. I thought it was interesting, too, at the end of the video that Shabab has um, started using the OAK, so we are coming 
mantra, which is um, the same thing they've been using for some time, but you can see it more prevalent, uh, prominently now, which of course was the same thing that AQAP and others first used at the end of their videos. And that's an homage basically to this idea that they are part of this global jihad. And in fact, you know, um, you know, he concludes his message by saying when he's, he's talking about um, how he's proud of the Mujahideen in Somalia. And he says, you know, that he's proud of them for not only kindling the flames of jihad East Africa, but he hopes that they're going to spread it to the rest of the world. Um, and again, it's connecting it's connecting what they're doing in Somalia to, to the jihad elsewhere, which is what the global jihad really from their perspective is about. It's not about necessarily global jihad doesn't mean that they're interested in attacking America right this second, although we know that Shabab has, has had some feelers out and had participated in some plots that appear to have been uh, foiled along those lines. But um, but the point from a, the global jihad, what it really means is that it's all part of this global effort to reclaim all the territory that was lost that was once ruled by an Islamic caliphate. And here you have a major speech by an al-Qaeda um, branch manager, regional manager, that's saying just that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that obviously, if, if anything stuck out to me in this video, it was his last line, as in, for all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, you know, these groups are constantly dismissed as local you know, dealing with local grievances, local insurgencies and whatnot. But if you can walk away from after listening to or reading this speech uh, and not understand that the um, Shabab is part of a global movement and is, uh, you know, seeks to help reestablish the Islamic Emirate, then, you know, uh, there's very little we can do to help you here. Yeah, I mean, the little, I don't want to get into this whole this whole chestnut again, but the local global thing is really so stupid because it it's, is. A fa- it's a false dichotomy. I mean, of course, these guys are local. They have to live and operate somewhere, right? And they, of course, are constrained or have to deal with local issues. I mean, they're human beings living in this world, you know? So what do you expect from them? The point is, is that that doesn't preclude them from also have, being part of a global organization or a global movement and having a globally focused ideology. It doesn't mean that that's the thing that trumps their day-to-day um, welfare or livelihood or, or reasoning at any given moment, but it's still there. It's still a prominent part of who they are and how they define themselves. And I think it's laughable that some supposed scholars try and take that away from them and say, no, 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 you can't really be a global jihadist because I'm going to define you as a local, local yokel, you know, and it's sort yeah, of I mean, a joke. What, what better way for them to help the global jihad than to establish its emirate? Because once it's done fighting internally, it could start devoting some of those resources to help Whoever else needs help establishing. Well, you and, and you've already right. document you've already documented caught your attention how they they've already made some gains throughout the region, right? I mean, they already have territory outside of Somalia, even that they have not only threatened but at times control. I think including in Kenya, right? Didn't you have a report on right? I mean, yeah, actually, Caleb wrote that up. Um, our yeah. colleague Caleb Weiss um, found the, the the governor of of a province in northern Kenya was saying they control Shabab controls sixty percent of the um of his province and that the that they're losing there so yeah they're already exporting their jihad and of course we know they supported jihadists in mali and and, and nigeria and, and that's just on the insurgency just on the insurgency angle we already know that they're exporting terrorism because they've done terrorist attacks outside of course you know in kenya and elsewhere uh terrorist attacks outside but just in terms of exporting their political revolution or their political politically motivated insurgency they are already already doing that outside of somalia but I think that's the main thing here that, that bothers me the most in the conversation of all this, especially now at the end where America got so much wrong, really, in the post 9 world in terms of not understanding who the U.S. and its allies were even really fighting. 
to this day, you don't hear people articulate it, this, this simple plain truth. And the simple plain truth is this, the jihadi's main political goal is to rule over Sharia-based governments. You know, that's what they want, according to their version of Sharia law. And obviously, there are different versions of Sharia. Their jihadi version of Sharia, they want to have these Islamic governments. That is their political goal. And they eventually want these Islamic governments to be part of the caliphate. And just to hammer this home, this is what Abu Ubaidah is saying, once again, from Shabab's perspective, is their basically reason for existence. Yeah, yeah, Tom, well said. I, I have nothing else to add to that. All right, so let's move on uh, real quick. I, I don't know if you saw this, but there was another Al-Qaeda message. Based, by the way, Al-Qaeda's global network for an organization that um, is supposedly dying or defunct or decimated or on the road to defeat, path to defeat, or whatever, one of the other sort of catch-all degraded, one of the other, any of the other all catch-all phrases we've heard from America. They're all D words. You notice that, Tom? Well, defunct. Well, a, lot of, a lot of them are. A lot of them are, yeah. <laughs> but dead, dying, you know, but... Um, for an organization that whatever, uh, you know, supposedly on its back foot, they're putting out a lot. They're putting out an awful lot of global media once you properly define them and what they're doing. We're documenting media from West Africa. Of course, we're just talking about this video out of East Africa and Shabab, but Al Qaeda senior leadership. There's some stuff out of Syria, out of Yemen. I mean, it's just a lot of media to digest, and we are digesting that on a regular basis. But there was this video that came out. And I just couldn't get myself to write it up at Long Word Journal just because it's just something, I don't know, something bothered me about it. But there was this um, video by As- Asahab called America Burns. And it was basically a greatest hits of all the problems that America has internally right now, as seen through the lens of Al-Qaeda. And it, of course, you then have to take it with a large pinch of salt because there's a little bit of spin or a lot of spin at times in terms of how they perceive things, how Al-Qaeda perceives things. But a lot of this stuff, when you look through this video, America Burns, as titled by um, Asahab, which is Al-Qaeda's uh, senior propaganda arm or main media hub, really, for Al-Qaeda. Um, and then, of course, that works with the regional branches as well. But um, as you watch through this, look through this video, it's very obvious that people in Al-Qaeda's media shop are, in fact, watching CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. They're reading headlines on the New York Times and Washington Post. Somebody in Asahab or some people within Asahab, the media organization there for Al-Qaeda, are spending a good amount of their day watching what we're saying about ourselves and the internal disputes amongst Americans. Um, and that's that comes crystal clear through this video because you could watch this video and I got to say parts of it are sort of comical. Parts of it are basically like what you would see as the right-wing critique of the left basically on Fox News. Um, you know, uh, and parts of it are basically the left-wing critique of the right, as you would see on MSNBC or somewhere else like that. I mean, it's really a curious production from that perspective. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, uh, it's not the, it's not the usual dry fare from like Ayman al-Zawahiri, for example, who likes to pontificate about matters from a hundred years ago through the, through the current, uh, you know, situation, the current environment. This is much more of a a glitzy sort of, you know, Hey, we're watching the headlines in America and America's burning. And we're laughing about it. I mean, you know, look, as Americans, we know that America has all sorts of problems, of course. I mean, you know, nothing in the video is surprising, but just it was interesting to see how Al-Qaeda's, their Al-Qaeda's take on it or spin on it. I mean, they, they lead off, for example, with coronavirus, which they're, they're trumpeting the death toll within the U.S. from coronavirus. But I always wonder about that because I don't think the jihadis, including Al-Qaeda, understand the... Um, the problem or the logical tension here, it's not like coronavirus only targets Americans, right? Or only people in the West. I mean, it obviously targets quite a few Muslims as well. The virus doesn't discriminate. You know, they like to call it the small soldier and they like to pretend that it's on their side. Um, but, you know, I mean, 
how many how many Al Qaeda fighters or leaders have been infected with coronavirus? We don't know. They're not putting out a tally, but it certainly has affected some of them. You know, so it's not like so if if this if coronavirus is really God's judgment on the West, which is what Al Qaeda likes to say, what happens if Ayman al Zawahiri got it and died? Would that be God's judgment on him? I mean, I'd like it to be, but uh, you know, but obviously, I don't, there's no indication so far that's happened. My point is, is that these are. The reason why I have a hard time writing up some of this stuff is because it is opportunistic. And, and part of what I've struggled with through the years, and I know you've, you've struggled with this too, Bill, is figuring out where the dividing line is between something that's just pure propaganda for the other side versus something that has real merit or merit from the perspective of that we learn something from it, not merit in terms of the arguments being just uh, just or truthful, but just that we actually has some informational value to it. And that's basically what I struggled with when I saw this video come out is I couldn't figure out you know, do I really want to write this up or am I just amplifying what they're saying? You know? Yeah. It's, it's a tale of two videos, right? One gives you the Shabab video, right? From its Amir gives you a very sober look of its objectives and strategy to reestablish their emirate in Somalia or establish the emirate in Somalia and then help the global fight. And the other one, you know, is sort of Al Qaeda's some overly simplistic view of, you know, it's almost like watching the onion news network do, you know, analyzing American politics or something like that. So yeah, it's very difficult. You, you, it's, it's anytime you touch these, these, uh, this propaganda and remember all propaganda, just because the word pro- it's propaganda doesn't mean it's false. What, you know, what Shabab is saying in its Eid statement, that adheres to to what's to the reality on the ground, and then what Asahab is saying, you know, it's 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 like you said, a cartoonish view of American politics. And how do you even write that up? I mean, how do you, how would you even? You, know, you got then you're stuck, Tom, weighing in on political issues. Like, how do you judge when it's saying X versus Y? And yeah, I don't wanna, I don't want to touch that with a ten foot pole. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you one example from the America Burns video, which um, gets domestic politics, which is not in our mandate. Although I, it's something we've touched on in a previous episode of the podcast. Um, I know, you know, I was very disturbed by the events of January 6th, of course, and I'm still trying to figure out how to, you know, what I want to say about that publicly. I've been doing a lot of research on the side, by the way, into those events. Um, but, you know, at one point, the America Burns narrator says they note that Al Qaeda, um, the fourth plane on 9 11, failed to hit the US Capitol, which was its intended target. And then the narrator goes on to say, with footage of January 6th playing in the background, and the Americans were left to destroy the edifice of their democracy with their own hands. And so they're rubbing it in with our own domestic turmoil and problems here, you know. Um, and believe me, the sim- I, you know, I, the reason why this is difficult to talk, for me to talk about is I take January 6th very seriously. I think it was a serious threat to um, the American political order. Um, and I think it needs to be investigated. And I think people need to be held accountable for sure. Um, I do think, however, that some people get um, let hyperbole get in the way of what um, happened. You know, sometimes it's described, I've seen some people describe it as, you know, the equivalent or even worse, some commentators, even worse than 9-11. I think, okay, wait a minute, you know, uh, you know, nearly 3,000 people died on 9-11. And, um, you know, that you want to talk about um, using mass weapons against Americans, that was a, a horrific event. And, and, I just don't think the two are comparable in terms of violence. Um, doesn't mean the January 6th wasn't violent. Of course it was. But I think it goes going way too far to, to accuse in terms of the impact of it that January 6th was the same thing as 9-11 in terms of violence. 
does is it is it a, a emblematic of a of a sick political system in here inside, inside the U.S. I think it is. You know, I think that maybe maybe in some ways that's a, a bigger problem for us long term because we have this dysfunction now uh, politically. But um, to you know, I, I, in other words, I don't like reducing all this stuff, comparing everything to nine eleven. Right, nine eleven is its own thing. We can talk about January six without comparing it to nine eleven. And here comes this Al Qaeda video comparing it to nine eleven. I'm like, I, I know, like you know, know. Uh, you know, so. I hope that's not a, I'm not making too much of a hash of it, but you know that's the my point is when you actually think about this stuff, you know there there are contradictions and nuances that often get lost, and I sure as heck wasn't going to be able to work them all out writing up this stupid video. So <laughs> yeah, that it's just a minefield, and it's one I don't want to walk through. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, it on my end for an abbreviated episode this week. You have anything, Bill? Um, I just have one thing to add. We actually didn't talk about Afghanistan, and thank you very much. Only well, we did a little bit. We did a just little tangentially, bit. Tom. Yeah. Just tangentially, wasn't a focus. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, I can go back here and uh, no, no, pull no, 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 we're good. I mean, I think I think you're you're telling me that you you really are disappointed in my performance here in putting this, trying to put this episode together, and that I need to do more. And I I'll take that to heart. You know, in fact, if you want to, if you want, we can record another second follow up episode here. <laughs> Focusing on Afghanistan because I know it's something that you want, you're just dying to talk more about. It's not like it's not like that you're spending 18 hours of your day right now in Afghanistan. I realize that you have a lot of free time that you you are wasting and that you really should be focused on Afghanistan more. So if you want me to, like, we can do it. You know, you know. So Tom, I was just going to say I don't hate you anymore, but uh, <laughs> you know, now you're, you're you're making me regret that thought. So let's just leave it there. Yeah, I'm sure the next episode we're going to have to dive in with more on Afghanistan. We're going to have some guests coming up, too. It's not just going to be you and me. It's not going to be the Tom and Bill show every uh, episode. we got more coming up. we just got to get our act together and putting it all together. We have so much stuff going on, uh, but we are a small shop here, and we're just sort of doing this on a shoestring budget. So forgive me if we sometimes overpromise and then underdeliver. but we do have more coming for you, we promise. Right, Bill? And and things have been a little bit busy on a couple of fronts, but uh, yeah. All joking, all joking aside, so our listeners know, Bill has been working, in fact, around the clock on Afghanistan, and uh, he does a lot of work um, to, to cover the war fighting there and what's going on. And um, you know, I think that that work has been recognized now in a number of quarters. I mean, it's not it's not fun work, it's not satisfying work in the sense that um, you're documenting a happy story, but it is it is work that you do that takes up quite a bit of time and nobody's better at figuring out what's going on in terms of the war fighting than you are, Bill. So. Well, thank you for the kind words, Tom. Yeah, it's uh, it's intellectually satisfying and personally depressing. I would just, I think it's the only way I could describe it. Yep. Well, that makes sense to me. Well, to our listeners, I'll say thank you for listening to this episode of Generation Jihad. Please just subscribe to the show. As a reminder, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts, and we're going to see you again soon.